Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. I am Jason Kong, and this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. And the guy who's normally uh, the representative of Transitions Life Care, Cooper Linton, is not with us tonight. So it's just me and the queen of Transitions Guiding Lights, Nicole <laughs> Bruno, this evening. Good evening, Nicole. I'm happy to be here. He is slacking. He is. No coffee. You know, you do all the work for the caregiver summit. I don't know why. And I'm still here. Yeah, and you're here and he's not. That's, Thank you. I know. I think uh, another notch on your belt. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. You very much. A demotion for him. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. See, it's good that he can't defend himself right now. I know. This, this is, is really fun. fun. Like, yeah. I'm actually picturing him here bumping into things. And yeah. It's quite, quite comical. <laughs> A little behind the scenes thing that Cooper always bumps into the soundproofing on the wall and almost knocks it down. 50% of the time he knocks it down, yeah. the other 50 he doesn't. Yeah. But uh, we're we're safe tonight. <laughs> well, Nicole, we are going to talk about um, a recurring theme that we've talked about on the show, and that's assisted living. Yes. And, uh, you know, I guess we can start off. We've got some guests here in the studio, but uh, why do you think this is still a, a hard concept to grasp? I mean, I, I still think there's uh, a lot of confusion about what assisted living is compared to, uh, you know, uh, nursing care. And I, there's just... I don't know. I feel like we have to have this discussion every single time. Yeah. And even myself, I still get a little confused. Uh, it is confusing. Confused. And, you know, and the, and the, you know, the, the thing about this inter- industry is it has changed. I don't even maybe over 21 years that I've been involved in it. What things were even 20 years ago look very different than what they are today. Mm-hmm. And so when you're when you're talking about assisted living or even any level of care in the continuum of long term care, you know, you're not ever comparing apples to apples, really, because even within assisted living, and we have some great guests that are going to explain to us exactly what assisted living is, you have just nuances and differences between what one organization will provide versus another. And then some of that has to do with staffing. Some of it has to do with, you know, the type of resident they may want to have living with them. And so it's, it is a very complicated um, scenario for families to navigate. So I'm really glad that we have today with us Melissa Cole, who is the Interim Executive Director of Morningside Assisted Living, and Amanda Doby, who is the sales counselor there. They're going to shed some light for us on exactly what assisted living is. You know, if we were to look at it as, a, as one big pie, what does assisted living look like? What is it supposed to do? How is it supposed to function for our older adults in our community? Well, assisted living is supposed to be, and what, what we provide is a home environment. So residents are leaving their long-term home that they may have lived in all their lives mm-hmm. or all their adult lives to come live in our home. And we provide services right there in their home, such as dining services, activities and programming, um, events, musical outings, entertainment, all of that sort of stuff, as well as medical support, um, providing medications when the doctor has ordered them, communicating with the doctor, setting up appointments. All of that is included and and provided in their home. So... When you say in their home, you're meaning the home they move out of and then into. So you're calling the assisted living their new home, basically. I just want yes, to make sure we're exactly. clear on that. So if, um, you know, I, I was an older adult and I was living at my home that I had been in for 40 years, when would I know or when would my family know it was the right time to make a choice like that? How do you know when you need to leap from your residential home to a community home? 
I think that answer is different for every family yeah, and course. every resident. And <laughs> There's no their, magic bullet. <laughs> what their comfort level is, I think that it's best if that transition is made early mm-hmm. because it's easier on the resident if they have more um, independence and capability to take care of themselves and that sort of thing when they move. It mm-hmm. makes the adjustment easier. Mm-hmm. They get to know our residents that are already in the community better. They're more involved in the activities they just seem to adjust better the earlier that they make that transition. When residents wait until they've had some sort of health event that causes them to definitely need that 24-hour assistance and monitoring, it's a little bit tougher transition for them because not only are they dealing with that medical event, they're also dealing with changing their home. So I want to play a little game of Mythbusters today. Okay. I know that there are a lot of misconceptions, and hopefully I don't put you on the spot here, about assisted living communities. First of all, the first one that I hear a lot of is that moving to an assisted living means you lose your independence. True or false? False. How so? So our residents still do everything that they did at home that they are capable of doing, Mm -hmm. um, such as if they're able to take care of themselves, dressing and all of that, they're still able to do that in our environment. It's when they need assistance that we'll step in and help. They still get to choose the activities and things that they do, how they how they live out their days, um, what their interests are. Those things don't change and they're allowed to have those here in their in their new home. So when I think about independence for myself personally, I don't know about you, Jason, but I think about my ability to come and go as I please. I mean, is that something? You know, if 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 I was well enough, you know, medically speaking, you know, if I wanted to go to the mall, would I be allowed to do that? Make my own arrangements to go to the mall, that sort of thing. Absolutely. So that Our residents can sign themselves in and out and and families can come and get them anytime they'd like. They can go away for the weekend, weeks at a time, vacations. So they're, this isn't Hotel California. Right. Once they, you're in, you're not, not locked in. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So another common myth I think that folks have about assisted living communities is that staying at in your residential home, the home you've been in for 15, 20, 30, 40 years in some cases, is always less expensive. And that is false as well. How so? Um, because of all the upkeep that goes along mm-hmm. with the home, taxes, insurances, um, all of your utilities and all of that, that ad- adds up. And, and people then, don't think about that, do they? Right. And then also you're typically going to have a vehicle to take you around and do mm-hmm. um, grocery shopping and all of those things. All of that is done in assisted living for you. So you don't have to have those expenses um, in a separate home. I think a lot of people, too, often think, you know, if I were to move to an assisted living facility, I have to be a millionaire. I mean, do you have to be someone who's rich to live in one? Absolutely not. Um, our Rates and and industry-wide rates are competitive enough that residents on modest incomes can afford our communities. One of the things that I frequently encounter at Transitions Guiding Lights is that families call us and they often think that the more high dollar a place is that they're looking at for their loved one, it means the better quality of care. They often think you get what you pay for. And in some instances with some things in life, that's probably true. But is that always true when it comes to assisted living? That is not always true. I've seen um, communities that are on the lower end of the scale as far as their rates provide some of the best care. Mm -hmm. It's all in what the community focuses on and what they provide. 
You know, Amanda, I'm sure you experience this a lot when you go uh, on tours with family members and things. And, and one of the calls I recently got from a family member was, you know, she was looking at the long-term living community, assisted living communities with her eyes, what she would want. I mean, she was wowed by the individual apartments and the granite countertops and, you know, the the step and showers and on all those things. And I said, okay, well, is that how your mom has always lived or is this how you would want to live? I said, the things in my opinion you, sh- you should be thinking about are talk to the staff about their turnover rates. How, you know, how often, you know, see, see the interactions with the caregivers and the residents. I mean, I think sometimes people go in there and, and want to see a certain look that they're used to, but they're not really necessarily thinking about what would make mom most comfortable. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. With the families that I meet with, they are often um, thinking about things, how how it appeals to that older um, child or to the, the adult child. Um, you know, they they do want um, aesthetically things to look like like their home as opposed to what mom or dad's home mm-hmm. looked like, you know, and um, we want this to look comfortable and, and more like a home as opposed to um, you know, some ritzy hotel that that's not gonna feel like um, that comfortable environment for the resident. Um, so they are often thinking of things maybe with the wrong mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just have to talk that through and see what's really going to be important to the parent, um, and and try to make it you know um, something that's important to the adult child too, um, but have them keep in mind who we're really considering. Our guests are Amanda Doby and Melissa Cole, and they are with Morningside Assisted Living of Raleigh, and we will have more Aging Matters in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, the care and comfort that surrounds you right here on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights alongside me. No Cooper Linton tonight. Uh, we think he'll be back next week. Um, we don't know. Nicole, <laughs> he keeps these things a mystery. You know, He'll be back. We're waiting on pins and needles. He's going to miss us. He is. He is. <laughs> and we're missing the coffee right now. That's, I know, right? That's really what we're missing. <laughs> uh, we've got two great guests in the studio, and we're talking all about assisted living. We've got Amanda Doby and Melissa Cole, and they are with Morningside Assisted Living of Raleigh. And Nicole, we've been going over some myths of assisted living, mm-hmm. and uh, this has been pretty helpful because, uh, as, as we talked about last segment, that uh, there's there's a lot of misconception, and for whatever reason, there remains to be uh, just a lot of misinformation about assisted living. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else. I think you know, none of us really know about a particular topic until we've had to experience it. Mm-hmm. So don't you know? I, what I'd love to say to the to the listeners is, don't feel bad that you don't know these things. I mean, how would you know unless you had to physically go through this with a loved one? That's why we're so glad to do this show because we're really hoping that we arm the community with some knowledge so that they can go into some of these decisions, hopefully before the crisis and really be prepared and at least know some some good questions to ask when you go around and, and try to make some choices with your loved ones about their future care. So back to some myths. Um, 
another, gosh, this is a huge, you know, when we talk to families that transition scouting lights all the time and they're starting to notice mom or dad not doing so well in the home that they've lived in for so many years, they often say, but she's not ready for assisted living because that's just filled with people that are sick and dying. And people really, really believe that. And they feel like moving mom to an assisted living is going to be depressing. All you're going to see is wheelchairs and walkers and people who, who need to be fed. And they're, they're just really worried about, you know, bringing mom to that level and seeing a decline. And those are very real feelings for families. And there's a lot of guilt associated with that. Obviously, you know, we're sitting here and, and none of us believe that they're filled with people who are sick and dying. And what, what, what does it look like to walk into an assisted living community? Well, Nicole, I think that um, you really hit on something a few minutes ago when you were talking about how the industry has changed so much through the years mm -hmm. and what's available to everyone. Um, and people do sort of, um, well, they tend to think that it's going to look like it did a long time ago where it was a nursing home, where it was a lot of different people with different needs placed together, mm -hmm. um, often inappropriately, and it felt very clinical. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's a home for everyone based on their needs. Mm -hmm. And so that's where assisted living comes in. And mm -hmm. so that is a home environment that has been created specifically for um, the seniors that are needing some additional support. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're going to come in and you're going to see other seniors that are needing some additional support and, and just needing that social aspect that comes along with it as opposed to staying at home. You know, Melissa, I know you float around between various different assisted living communities providing support to them. What is some of the advice that you give your sales counselors, you know, when they're trying to work with family members who are really dealing with that guilt? How do you help them kind of get past that psychological moment of walking in and, and just even sometimes they're not seeing what what they're really what's really in front of them, but they're just seeing their fear. Right. So I suggest to our sales counselors when they're working with families that have that, that issue with feeling guilty for seeking placement or finding a new home for their loved one, that we really need to encourage them that this is going to allow them to go back to that role of just being a son or a daughter or whatever family member mm -hmm. it may be, a husband or wife, and allow us to provide that extra support or care that they need, that monitoring so that they have peace of mind that their loved one is safe. There's someone watching them all the time. Well, not necessarily watching, but checking in on yeah. them. Um, they have that support and they can go back to that role that is so important in their family, just being a son or daughter or a spouse. Mm -hmm. And that just gives them a little peace of mind so that they don't have to feel guilty. It's, it's a positive thing. I was working with a lovely family caregiver for a series of several weeks, helping her try to place her mom in an assisted living community. And she recently went on a vacation. Well, she had been basically a caregiver for her mom, not in the same home, but still very keeping very close tabs for years. And literally when she tried to take a vacation, you know, her cell phone was in a Ziploc baggie at the beach on her lap because her mom was going to call any second. And so she was actually able to take a vacation when she placed her mom and just know it's going to be okay and just release and relax. And she said, my gosh, it was just a feeling of 
just sure exhilaration of just being able to be herself and not have to feel like she has to be attached to her phone every two seconds and just right. to be free a little bit. And there's guilt associated with that too, right? But, right. but you know, just you have to take care of yourself because caregiving, you're good, she's still a caregiver and you're going to be caregiving throughout the journey. But again, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So doing things for yourself or even respite. Do you guys offer respite at Five Star Communities for family members? We do offer respite, and that's um, like you were speaking of when a family member takes vacation, when they're usually the caregiver or the person that's responsible um, for their loved one, that's a great time for them to bring the resident for two to four weeks, Mm -hmm. however long it may be, um, so that they can have that peace of mind while they're on vacation, knowing everything's going to be okay and there's someone checking in. And it's almost a way to test drive. Exactly. Kind of see how it goes. How did mom do during that four weeks? And then, you know, if mom's doing really well, it may be a good fit to stay. Exactly. So the last myth I wanted to go over, um, and I think this is, um, especially if you're an older adult who has the mental capacity to help make a decision to move, often a fear that I hear is that moving means they have to say goodbye to their hobbies, to the things that they enjoy. They're no longer going to be able to work in their woodworking shop or do their gardening or have their pets, that sort of thing. Is that always true? That is not um, true. In our communities, we encourage those things that you just mentioned, um, horticulture, having pets come into the community. And, and some residents are have pets live in their room. It just depends on, on how much care they can help with. But certainly, we don't want those things to end. It is their home. So we want them to, it, to be an extension of what they've done their whole lives. That's amazing. It's a beautiful thing, really. So... Let's get into a little bit about what is what assisted living is and what it is not. I know we touched on a little bit in the opening, but what are some things that you can provide and what are some things that you can't provide just so that families can kind of think about some of the things when they're trying to make a decision if this might be an appropriate placement? So what we can provide is, of course, 24-hour care services. Mm-hmm. Um, that is in the form of nursing assistance and medication technicians that provide care with um, getting ready in the morning, checking on them at night, bringing their medications to them when the doctor has prescribed them. Uh, We provide housekeeping services. Of course, we have a dining program with um, three meals a day and snacks, all of that. We provide lots of entertainment programming, um, extensions of what hobbies the residents have always done or always had, um, special family events, um, what we what we don't provide is that independent living aspect. So mm-hmm. we do have people there, staff members there, 24 hours a day, all the time, and they are going to continuously check on our residents just to make sure they're all right and provide services. We can't provide the nursing level of care, mm-hmm. which is 24-hour nursing services monitored by an Feeding attending tubes, physician. that sort of thing. That's correct. Um, respirators, those mm-hmm. those heavier level of care but Mm -hmm. we can provide lots of nursing services with support from home health agencies and our on-staff nurse great so in the little bit of time that we have left i want you to give you an opportunity to talk amanda a little bit about morningside assisted living community and then also about five star as a whole Well, with Morningside, we offer assisted living and memory care. We've been around for 26 years, just on the corner of Dixie Trail and Wade Avenue. So I'm sure that you 
Well, you have been out. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it fits right in the community. You it, wouldn't even it realize does. it. You would not. We're right in the middle of a, of a nice um, old Raleigh neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been providing that care for years and um, the support that the residents need. We are owned by Five Star, which is based out of Newton, Massachusetts, um, and they own over 270 properties with, um, within the United States. Um, so they provide independent living, assisted living, memory care, and um, even skilled services. So if folks wanted to get a hold of you to find out more information, what do they need to do? Well, they can call me at 919-828-5557 or swing by and um, visit our community. I'm there most of the time. And if I'm not there, um, there's always somebody that can um, show them around. That is Amanda Doby. She's the sales counselor for Morningside Assisted Living of Raleigh. And if you want to get in in contact with her and if you have any questions about what you've heard on the program tonight, give her a call. That number again is 919-828-5557. And Melissa Cole, she's the interim executive director of Morningside Assisted Living of Raleigh. Thank you both so much for joining us this evening. This was a, a great conversation. A quick break and back. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. This show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno alongside me representing Transitions Guiding Lights. And Nicole, we are going to uh, uh, we're going to change gears a little bit, but not completely. We're, we're not going to be talking about assisted living, but we're going to keep uh, sort of our Mythbusters angle I a little know, bit. I know. I like it. I know. You're perking <laughs> up about that. Uh, very, very pleased to welcome Stephen Hahn. He's the Associate State Director for Communications for AARP North Carolina. Stephen, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here today. Yes, sir. We're excited to have you on because, uh, again, we're going we're gonna to bust some myths here, but we're also going to talk a little bit about fraud and scams. And Nicole, this is something that uh, never seems to go away. And in light of some uh, nat- natural disasters around the country, luckily nothing here in North Carolina, mm. this is a uh, uh, needs to be even more on the radar right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I, I do believe so as well. And I also know around the holiday times, it tends to get worse. You mm-hmm. know, charities start asking for donations or people pretending to be charities. And I just know overall, older adults are a huge target. But let's start with a myth, I think. Let's do it. Is AARP an insurance company? No, we're not. Are uh, you sure? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, in spite of a lot of the ads that you see by service providers that market AERP <laughs> branded products, um, we are not. We, we are an advocacy organization or a membership organization mm-hmm. uh, with a mission. Uh, here in North Carolina, uh, from the mountains to the coast, AARP is helping North Carolinians reach their real possibilities. So we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan impact organization. And nonpartisan. Nonpartisan, okay. indeed. Uh, that helps people turn their goals and dreams into real possibilities. We're strengthening communities and we're fighting for issues that matter the most, such as protecting your hard earned savings, mm-hmm. which we'll talk a little about today when we look at how to protect yourself from fraud and scams. 
And we advocate for quality health care, support multi-generational families, and we help people uh, find new enjoyment in life. What many people don't know is we're volunteer-led. So here in North Carolina, over 3,000 uh, local AARP volunteers are using their skills and expertise to help their neighbors, and uh, so can you. So we can talk a little more about that today, too, if uh, people are interested in getting involved. That's great, and I know you have a huge push uh, to support family caregivers. And, and, I, and I've seen it online. I've been to conferences where someone from the national level of AAR speaks about the support of caregivers. And here locally, just for those listening, I, I want to thank AARP was a presenting sponsor for our 2017 Caregiver Summit. So you supported us in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and just, yet, just this week in Harnett County. So thank you so much for your support. That was amazing because without that type of support, we would not be able to reach the caregivers we reached over 1,500 families this year through those summits. Oh, that's great. Um, in fact, uh, many people out there are caregivers now, and they may not even realize it. No, I know. Well, what is a caregiver, right? So that, that's another myth. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, if you're giving someone transportation to and from a medical appointment, well, lo and behold, you're a caregiver. You might be a caregiver if. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like, is this just Jeff Foxworthy? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> very, very true. So here in North Carolina, there's 1.2 million family caregivers mm -hmm. that some t during some point in time during the year, they're providing care to a loved one. And for them, there's some great opportunities right at the forefront today. Mm -hmm. Last week, the U.S. Senate passed the Recognize Assist Include Support and Engage Act. And what that's going to do is create a national strategy to really help the 42 million caregivers mm -hmm. in America. So that passed the Senate last week. So we encourage folks, too, who know that uh, we need a national strategy to better coordinate public and private efforts around the duties um, that caregivers present. We encourage you to contact your House members right away. Mm -hmm. Encourage them to join their Senate colleagues who unanimously passed the bill last week. It's time that we start recognizing um, the work that's involved. I hope AARP is at the table with trying to come up with that strategy. Uh, absolutely, and we're urging Virginia Fox uh, here in North Carolina. She is the, uh, the head of an important subcommittee in the House that will determine the fate of this legislation. Oh, wow. So in particular, if you have relationships with Virginia Fox, and you're a caregiver, we ask you to tell her about the challenges that you go through mm -hmm. and the need for this legislation. Well, wonderful. That's good news to hear. That is. <laughs> uh, the second opportunity uh, will come as when the legislature comes back next year, and mm -hmm. that's the CARE Act. Mm -hmm. um, for those of you who don't know about the CARE Act, this is a measure that was passed in many, many states that really supports the needs of family caregivers. So as it stands, I'm gonna, actually, why don't I read you a letter uh, from an AARP member that really talks about uh, the need for this act. Um, this member says that I was a family caregiver for my mom and pop for more than 15 years. After all they'd done for me, it was my pleasure to care for them. Through the years, we were in and out of a dozen hospitals and rehabilitation centers. But each time at discharge, I was handed a dizzying array of responsibilities to ensure my parents recovered from illness and regained their health and happiness. Medication changes, wound care, nebulizers, and more became part of our post-discharge regimen, but the tasks were intimidating. I wasn't a trained medical professional, and the consequences of making a mistake in their care weighed heavily on me. 
I mean, how many of you have felt that yep. way? Oh, that's, a, that's a plight of one family caregiver situation. I can tell you at Transitions Guiding Lights, we hear that over and over. And I know, you know, Jason, when you were doing interviews at the Raleigh Summit, that was a very common theme. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a common theme. And I, I, you can easily see how overwhelming it could be. So, Stephen, what, what is the CARE Act? Well, the CARE Act would require um, a hospital upon admission um, for you to assign who your caregiver is. Before you're discharged, that caregiver is going to be given some instructions on how to provide the care that you need, whether it's medication management, dressing wounds, or other needs of patients. Um, this lack of information not only results in prolonged illnesses, hospital readmissions, and other problems, but it creates great stress on family caregivers. That's why a majority of states have already passed this measure, and we're hoping that North Carolina does the same in 2018. The tsunami's coming. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And you, you could see how that could be so overwhelming for mm-hmm. a family. You know, if, yeah. if uh, and as you said in, in that letter there, that, uh, you know, if you're constantly going in and out of hospitals and if there's different regimens, Man, that can just be so intimidating. Oh, yeah. And then you have the whole, you know, how do you pay for it afterwards mm-hmm. and the dealing with the insurance companies afterwards. And it's just, you know, even dealing that with that. I mean, I was a caregiver a couple times before, but even with my own daughter who had a dental accident, I must have spent no less than eight hours on the phone with the insurance company trying to get them to pay for this. And it was wow. a circle. I mean, yeah. I literally, so I know. And then when the families are dealing with just the emotional stress and trying to help their loved one get well, it, it's just completely overwhelming. So I'm glad that they're trying to put something like that into place. Well, you mentioned the tsunami, and it's very clear that it is happening. So Mm -hmm. here in the state, um, out of our 100 counties in North Carolina, by the year 2025, 90 out of those 100 counties will have more people ages 65 plus than 18 Mm -hmm. and under. So we as a state are aging. When it comes to caregiving, um, that ratio is quickly changing. So today... For everyone that's 80 years old and over, they're 7.2 caregivers. So they have seven, a little over seven family members who share some responsibilities. By the year 2030, that ratio will be four to one. Mm-hmm. And by the year 2040, that ratio will be three to one. Mm. So these family caregivers are going to take on more and more responsibilities. And that's why we need um, things like the RAISE Act to create a coordinated strategy um, so they can succeed in their labor of love. Well, and, the, and the, the fact of the matter is is that there are not going to be enough hands to care for all the older adults in this country. So this is going to, I mean, I'm glad that we're starting to look at what can we do because there, they're just they're, people. There aren't even people that want to get get into this field currently. You know, there aren't people that want to do that hard work of dra- bathing and dressing and grooming an older adult. And and what are we going to do when we don't have enough? I mean, it's it's going to be a big big problem. The way we care for older adults in this country compared to other parts of the world is so so different. And how we are going to have to work with it here is going to have to have something very creative made. <laughs> don't you agree? Oh, we do. <laughs> and. Um, any, anything that we can do, whether large or small, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, this past legislative session, we're, uh, our ARP volunteers were able to um, convince the legislature to pass a few measures that will help them, mm-hmm. including uh, helping them save money uh, by the Uniform Power of Attorney Act so they don't have to hire another attorney when bringing someone here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've helped them uh, by studying telemedicine. 
Very good. Well, our guest is Stephen Hahn. He's the Associate State Director for Communications of AARP North Carolina, and we will continue our conversation in just a bit. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. I'm Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno alongside me, and our guest this evening is Stephen Hahn, and he's the Associate State Director for Communications of AARP North Carolina. And uh, we've sort of dug into what AARP is and what it isn't, some of the common myths. And uh, Nicole, we're going to uh, travel into uh, a an important message here, and that's all about fraud and scams. And mm. this seems to be ever evolving as uh, as technology advances. And um, yeah, I've I've never understood why people put so much thought and and creativity into scams, or if they just put it into a legitimate business, right? they'd probably they'd be, be just as if yeah. <laughs> more successful with uh, no chance of going to jail. Yeah, seriously, I don't know some uh, some of those things I'll never understand for sure. <laughs> I'm with you there, Jason. So. I think a lot of people think that, you know, if they are really closely watching a loved one, an older adult, and, you know, you know, in earlier in the show today, we were talking about an assisted living community, and they place them in an assisted living community. I think a lot of times people really think that it's the older adult who's living independent in the home that is the target for fraud and financial abuse. Is, is that true, or does it continue on once you move to the next level? It, it happens everywhere. Unfortunately, if you have a phone or a computer, you're probably the target of a, of a fraud or a, or a scam. In fact, every two seconds, a, car, a con artist steals someone's identity. Uh, in the last year alone, Americans lost $16 billion of their hard-earned dollars to fraud, identity theft, and scams. And uh, so, that's why we're very busy uh, educating people on the tricks that con artists do to steal your money and how you can outsmart those scammers before they strike. How? Well, the first I would recommend is join the AARP Fraud Watch Network. There, too, you'll get real-time alerts of frauds and scams that are prevalent in your area, and Mm -hmm. you'll get uh, great resources to help you uh, protect yourselves and your family. And I believe the Attorney General also has some sort of a fraud watch and alert that you can sign up for online. You do. So if you feel that you're a victim of 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 a fraud or scam, you can uh, you'd be encouraged to report that mm-hmm. to the Attorney General. If it's an investment scam, uh, to the Secretary of State. Uh, but AARP makes that a little bit easier with some uh, toll-free assistance. So you can talk to a trained volunteer on how to spot and report fraud by simply calling 1-877-908-3360. So once again, that number, 877-908-3360. So Steve, do you have to be a member of AARP to get these services? No, you don't. So we, could you be younger than the age of an AARP member? I mean, how does all that work? I, I, You know, you mentioned earlier a membership organization, so is this only for members. No, it isn't. So this is a free service. So we encourage anyone to um, to really um, take note to report and to share that information if they feel like they're victimized. 
Um, the more information we share, the harder it is for uh, these unscrupulous uh, people to, to uh, steal our money. So what are the most common types of fraud and scams that affect older adults? Well, there's really a variety of, of tricks that are out there. I don't know, have you been approached lately on the telephone or computer? Uh, I, I have not, but suspicious? I've, I've had uh, a friend of mine, uh, I, I think you've got it listed in here, but um, you know, his grandfather got a call from someone and basically they say, you know, grandpa, grandpa, I'm in trouble. And, you know, they're trying to get a name. So, you know, he might say, oh, is this, uh, you know, Timmy, is that you? And then boom, you know, yeah, this is Timmy. I'm in jail. I need you to send money. I don't want you to tell mom or dad. You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed by what might happen. And that's uh, that seems to be a pretty common scam. That's a very common scam. In fact, my father in Florida was called by uh, uh, someone with that very scam in mind. Wow. Uh, Did he fall for it? They said it was uh, his grandson. He was in trouble. He was arrested in Texas. Wow. Uh, that he needed money for bail. Uh, my dad said, well, you sound kind of funny. And he said, well, I've got a bad cold. Mm. Well, my dad very nearly fell for it mm. uh, wow. before asking for the callback number, realizing that something wasn't right. Yeah. Well, another one I've been hearing a lot about is somebody calls you on the phone and then they tell you you have some sort of a virus on your computer and you need to give them a remote access. And then I guess... What happens next? From what I've heard is they somehow get a hold of all your bank account information. I don't know how all that works, but this is something that a lot of people are falling for, especially the older adults who don't really understand technology. That, that's right. Computer computer scams are big, um, whether it's a pop-up ad uh, mm. claiming that your computer is... Uh, ransomware. Or <laughs> ran, ransomware and others, but all of those should be warning signs. Uh, computer companies won't call you mm-hmm. about uh, any issues with your computer. They won't. They won't contact you directly. So anything that you see there should be a warning that that something's just not right. Is there one scam in particular that seems to be really popular right now, or is is it just a a number of things? Well, we were lucky to hear from Frank Abagnale uh, about a week or so ago, who was here in Raleigh. Frank spoke to about 400 ARP members that day to kind of talk about these common frauds and scams. Social media, unfortunately, is leading really to a rash of, of criminal activity. Hmm. Uh, according to Frank Abagnale, social media is really the number one way that these criminals collect information that they use to eventually steal your identity, whether it's your profile photo, whether it's the personal hmm. information that you list, um, including your date of birth, uh, where you live, hmm. um, and other things. This all makes it very simple for criminals to take that information and to try to create a duplicate identity. Wow. So what's recommended there is to really limit the amount of personal information that you do share um, on those sites. Yeah, like for example, my favorite is, I'm in Africa for the next three weeks, and they're posting every day, (laughs) Uh, well, of course, I mean... But seriously, though, I mean, that gives you plenty of time to rob their house if you were a criminal. And, you know, it's just, wow. I mean, for me personally, what I do, I mean, and obviously you limit who your friends are, is I don't post where I've been until I'm home. Right, exactly, (laughs) yeah. Or I'm at Starbucks currently. Well, great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that seems to be uh, something that a lot of people don't take into consideration is that, you know, you want to share this information with family and friends and you think that they're the only ones watching. But if if you don't have those uh, those security 
security settings. And they change them all the time. All That's right. The they time. trick you. You have to keep re-upping it, and yeah. it's you think you're secure, and then next thing you know, you're not. It's pretty scary. That is uh, scary. It's very true. What I was surprised by too was the fact that they not only will steal your identity, but they'll take that profile photo to issue new IDs with. Mm. So what Frank Abagnale suggests is don't post that headshot, the mm. professional headshot, as your as your uh, as your profile photo. Find something else that can't be used to issue a you know government official ID. Wow. Uh, yeah. Make sure make sure you have a picture wearing one of those rainbow hats with the propeller on top. <laughs> I think that'll trick them. That'll trick them. That's awesome. What else? What else should we know about fraud? Well, um, I like to say that if something sounds too good to be true, <laughs> probably it, is. it definitely <laughs> is. Um, so you know, keep that in mind. Lottery scams are 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 still big. Uh, you're not automatically entered into any foreign lotteries. Mm-hmm. So if somebody calls you and tells you that you've won a foreign lottery, well, you probably you know, did. <laughs> that's a good idea to probably hang up right away. But you only have to send a dollar for a million. Yeah, that's, that, right. that's right. <laughs> and you mentioned something very common, too, that people will tell you that you won a prize, but you need to pay for the shipping and handling and processing. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, that should be a warning sign um, to, to check it out. Uh, you can always call... Uh, the 800 number provided, and that's 877-908-3360. They, too, can help get information to you whether or not that's a legitimate offer that you received or if it's a warning sign that this is something uh, that could be a problem. Yeah. We uh, we hear a lot about you know people who do get scammed, and uh, it, it's almost a, a thing of shame where you know they don't want to admit that it happened no. or they're afraid to seek help because they're embarrassed. Uh, what are the resources available if someone does happen to be fooled by one of these scams? Well, they sh- there shouldn't be any embarrassment. Um, really, it's con artists are good at really getting you under the ether, mm-hmm. so they're gonna talk to you, the, probably the longer they have you on the phone, the more mm-hmm. convincing they're going to be. So it's an always a great idea to have a plan to get rid of unwanted callers. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say, don't fall for a telephone line. So simply say no thank you and hang up. Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. And you can always always ask for a callback number or something to do that because most scam scammers don't want you to have that information. Well, we are uh, rapidly running out of time. Stephen Hahn, Associate State Director of Communications for AARP North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, if people want to find more information about Stephen and what he does in AARP North Carolina, you can go to aarp.org forward slash nc. That's aarp.org forward slash nc. Or you can call 866-389-5650. That's 866-389-5650. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all your support, uh, and we appreciate everyone that showed up to the Caregivers Summit in uh, in Harnett County over at Campbell University. It was a, a wonderful time, a great turnout, and we, we certainly appreciate everyone who's uh, listened and who attended and registered. Uh, we, we couldn't have been more pleased with the turnout there, and we're uh, we're looking forward to doing those again next year, right, Nicole? Yep. We, give me a few months. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll let you rest <laughs> up for a day or two, and then, then it's right back to work for you. Oh, my goodness. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, and this show is a service of Transitions Life Care. We'll see you next week on News Radio 680 WPTF.